While Christmas is meant to be a happy time, sometimes little children approach the season with a bit of dread over what St. Nick might discover about them. He is the one who could eventually put you in the sack if you hadn't been a nice child that year. Coming up in the hour ahead, we're celebrating the Christmas traditions of our friends from near and far. In Venice, the canals are being brightened with a regatta of decorated boats. A parade for boats, and everybody has to, if you want to participate, you gotta dress up like Santa Claus. While long ago in the English countryside, neighbors would spill a little cider in their apple orchards. That's how wassailing got started. The village would march down to the orchard, banging drums and making a lot of noise to get rid of the evil spirits. Let's get ready to close out one of the strangest years in our lifetimes with warm Christmas memories from Holland and Venice, Santa Fe, and wherever you want to go for the holidays. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. You can experience my favorite European people, places, and stories in my newest book, For the Love of Europe. Order your copy today at ricksteves.com. In a socially isolating year like this one, it might take some effort to maintain your Christmas spirit. A lot of this year's holiday markets and festivals have had to be canceled all around the world. But we've got our memories and our desire to make new ones. So today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're celebrating holiday traditions like you'll find in Holland, England, Venice, and Santa Fe. And if travel is part of your December traditions, let's hear where you like to go this time of year. Let's start with what the holidays were like growing up in the Netherlands. That's where Elizabeth Van Hest was born and raised. Thank you. They said I should go on radio. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I'd love to hear what Christmas is like in your memory. Let's pretend you're a five-year-old girl in a small town in the Netherlands. And it's Christmas Eve. What what did you just do? What's happening tonight? And what happens tomorrow? Oh, well, you see, for us, Christmas was really a family feast. Because probably, you know, in the Netherlands originally, we never had gifts at Christmas. It was the real religious holiday and a family holiday. Well, in my case, I remember uh, my mother started to prepare the house to decorate it. And she had little planks and we put moss on it with a wire. And then we put all kind of green leaves like holly and other uh, little objects to decorate the house and we fixed it on the wall and we put it on the table and then of course we made the wreath for the front door and then you were hoping it would uh, be snowing on the right day because I remember the conifer, the big tree in our garden when there was snow on it and my father would put lights. (gasps) That was magic. And then just before Christmas, uh, my mother came up with the real Christmas tree. And you know, when I was really very young, we had real candles with the clippings. Real candles. Real no. candles under the tree inside the house. Yes. And there was a white sheet on the floor to protect the floor. And then there was a basket with water in case the uh, tree would be set on fire. So it was only allowed to light the candles when Daddy and Mummy were there. And we hardly moved, of course, because there could be a fire. But it was magic to see all these flames burning. And then we got a a beautiful dog, and it was too dangerous. So we had to put electric lights. But it was still very nice. Now, for a little child, is there a Santa Claus figure that brings the gifts? Well, that's it. Because... Christmas is without presents because our Santa Claus is called Sinterklaas. And he has his birthday on the 6th of December. 
So that is the real exciting feast for the gifts. Ah. And I really, I would be willing to set up an association to save that celebration because I think it's the most beautiful feast in the world. Why? Well, first of all, as a child, you believe in Sinterklaas. He is bishop coming from Spain on a big ship with his assistants who are black Peters. They are funnily dressed and they are doing funny things, acrobats. They are a little bit naughty and you are scared of him because he is the one who could eventually put you in the sack if you hadn't been a nice child that year. Wow. Because Sinterklaas is keeping a book and he's writing in the book if you were good or bad. So... It is very well organized in the Netherlands because about three weeks before the 6th of December, which is his birthday, he officially arrived on the big ship in Amsterdam. And this is transmitted on television. So you are looking at it because you know once he's in the country, your parents will allow you to put your little shoe at the chimney. Of course, many people had central heating, a little problem, but you find a solution. <laughs> you put your shoe in front of the door or whatever. Anyway, some problems for a child to believe in St. Nicholas because one hour later, after you have seen him arriving on television in Amsterdam, he's arriving in your village as well. And so you say to your mother, how is that possible? So then she usually explains you, well, there is the real one, and he has assistance because, you know, there are so many children like you. The real one cannot cope with all that. So to review, in the Netherlands, Christmas Eve, 24th, 25th, 26th, that's the family time and the religious time. Yes. And St. Nicholas Day, December 6th, is yes. the big gift-giving yes. festival that the children are very excited about. And the Dutch St. Nicholas is Sinterklaas. Yeah, we call him Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas. And that comes from St. Nicholas. Oh, and he sails on a boat from Spain with his yes. uh, acrobatic, uh, colorful uh, Black Peter yes. partners. Yes, And it's a naughty or nice thing. Yes. So if the kids are naughty, what happens? Oh, they put you in the sack and they bring you to Spain. They put you in a sack and take you to Spain. <laughs> and you're so scared. <laughs> so even if you know that you weren't too bad, when your mother or your father brings you to St. Nicholas, because, of course, like Santa Claus, you find them in uh, big department stores right. and you can make an appointment. And I remember, because I have still a picture of myself and my brother, I was so brave that I dared to sit on... St. Nicholas' knees, mm. but most of the children start to cry. They get very upset. But you see this magic souvenir uh, of something you believe in. Uh, it's so beautiful. Souvenir uh, in the sense of a good memory, yes. a warm memory. Yes. Elizabeth Van Hest specializes in art tours in Paris and France. She's telling us about the special features of the Christmas season where she grew up in the Netherlands, right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Elizabeth, is there a song that the children uh, sing most happily for this either Sinterklaas? Yes. Or what's the happiest children's song that you remember? There are a few very long ones, very beautiful ones. Sing but me just see, a quick verse of a one. A quick that you one know. is Sinterklaas kapuntje, gooi wat in mijn schoentje, gooi wat in mijn laarsje, dank u Sinterklaasje. And you sing that in the evening when your parents allow you to put your shoe. And what for did just that a mean? little what, present. What, what is translation? Sinterklaas, kapuntje, gooi wat in mijn schoentje. Please, Sinterklaas, draw something in my shoe. 
Please throw something in my little boot. Thank you, St. Nicholas. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for taking us to the Netherlands in this holiday season. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. In Dutch, how do you say Merry Christmas? Frohe Kerstfeest en een gelukkig nieuwjaar. Dank u wel. Alstublieft. They've got to have the most original Christmas season traditions anywhere in America. In northern New Mexico, many of the ways they celebrate this time of year actually date back to the state's Spanish colonial days and earlier. Plus, the region's mix of cowboys and hippies, Pueblo Indians, and everyone else really spices things up. Travel writer Zora O'Neill joins us now for a look at a Santa Fe Christmas. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Zora, you grew up in New Mexico. What is unique about New Mexican Christmas celebrations? Honestly, it feels a little pagan. Uh, There's tons of fire, which is fascinating. Probably the image that people know best is all the luminarias, which are the little paper bags. They're filled with sand to weight them down with a candle inside, and they give off this beautiful golden glow, and people use them to line streets and put along the edges of their roofs and their houses and things like that. So the whole cityscape in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Taos gets dotted with these luminarias. Hmm. Uh, But it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And then in Santa Fe, on Christmas Eve... In part of the city, they light bonfires all along the street, and people sort of walk from bonfire to bonfire, and all the galleries are open. It's a very sort of special Santa Fe vibe. I remember being up there, and the kind of carols that people were singing were, for instance, you can't always get what you want. (laughs) Not the most traditional selections. Well, speaking of a special vibe, I think that's unique about New Mexico because you got this hippie culture overlaid with the Indian culture, overlaid with the Spanish colonial culture, and uh, it shows itself in different times of year. Yeah, it's great. And Christmas is when sort of everybody comes out in the street and does their thing together. At the Pueblos, um, pretty much every Pueblo has a dance on Christmas Eve. And this is one of the most amazing times to go visit a Pueblo if you have a chance. It's late at night. I remember when I was a child, I didn't appreciate this at all because it was freezing cold and had to stay up really late. And I was tired and walk a long way. And You're standing there, like, under the stars, blinking in the freezing cold Mm. air, and you hear the drums beating from miles and miles away. So you have that almost pagan-feeling culture with the drums and the fires, but on the cover of your book, you've got uh, Christian crosses with Indian art on them. So there, there is that colonial Christian Mexican sort of style of Christianity also in the Indian communities, is that right? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's very, very syncretic. I remember being at a dance a few years ago, And they did Christmas Mass, and then sort of in the middle of the Mass, while the priest was talking, some of the dancers, sort of the clown figure dancers, worked their way up to the altar and sort of hustled the uh, priest off away from the front of the church, and then the dances began. So there's this almost, there's a very (laughs) conscious blending there. It's it's very smart, and it's fun to be a part of. That's all over the world. It's fun to see how uh, previous indigenous aspects of the culture would be incorporated into people's Christian rituals, and uh, that would happen even at an Indian mass in New Mexico at Christmas time then. Mm-hmm. And the Spanish villages, a lot of the old, old Spanish villages also have their own dances. One of them is the Matachinas. The fiddle music that is played at those dances is, I have some recordings of it, and occasionally when I'm feeling homesick, I listen It's some of the most beautiful music you'll hear. Uh, There are just so many opportunities, especially around Christmas, to stumble across amazing things in the dark with the fire. 
Travel and food writer Zora O'Neill was raised in Albuquerque, and she's telling us about the special kind of Christmas traditions you find in the land of enchantment. Zora wrote the Moon New Mexico guidebooks for many years, as well as how to throw a dinner party without having a nervous breakdown. Her 2017 book about her travels in the Arab world, All Strangers Are Kin, won Best Travel Book from the Society for American Travel Writing. Zora, you grew up in New Mexico. When you think back to your childhood, what sort of edible memories do you have of Christmas? (laughs) I have one very specific memory. One time we were at the Taos Pueblo at the governor's house, which sounds fancy, but it's not. It's just one of the old mud brick houses in the center of the Pueblo. There was this huge spread, and it was sort of an open house. We could all run in and out, and I was maybe like six. And I remember being totally transfixed with this bowl of little spiced gumdrops because I, as a child of hippies, did not get sugar. So it's funny, like Christmas in New Mexico, spicy gumdrops. But I think (laughs) other people have some broader associations There are tamales. People go crazy making tamales around Christmas because it's a very festive thing. When you make them, you get all your friends together. You make a huge batch of them, and then you have a party, and you give some of them away. So tamales are especially delicious around then. And any time of year, if you you want to mix your chili peppers, what what can you say if you want green and red? Ah, you say, I'd like Christmas to your server at the restaurant. It's very handy. So, you know, even if you're missing Christmas, you can still have a little bit of it on your plate all year round in New Mexico. And even if you're a red chili person most of the year at Christmas, you can say, I'd like it. Exactly. Christmassy, red and green. (laughs) Zora O'Neill, thanks so much for giving us an insight into New Mexico and best wishes with your work. Thank you so much. And Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Ah. Our next stop takes us to Italy for Christmas in Venice on Travel with Rick Steves. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. I love art. And in my new book, Europe's Top 100 Masterpieces, I share my favorites with gorgeous photos and vivid descriptions. It's a greatest hit sweep through art history via the finest paintings, sculpture, and architecture ever. It's all in Europe's Top 100 Masterpieces, Art for the Traveler. It's available now at ricksteves.com. Do you like to get away for the holidays? We'll check in with our listeners in just a bit to hear about their favorite Christmas season destinations. We'll also hear how some old English holiday traditions are being revived in a few minutes. But first, Venice-based tour guide Elena Zamperon tells us how they typically celebrate the holidays in her hometown. Elena, benvenuti. Thank you to you, Eric. Growing up in Venice, what are some fun memories you have as a child of Christmas? I'll unwrapping gifts with my parents at home, with my grandmothers, and saying, wow, Santa Claus remember me this year. <laughs> or just walking down the streets, uh, going to the Christmas Mass together at midnight. Uh, that was a Mass in my family. So now you live uh, in what part of Venice? Canaregio, the northern part from the Grand Canal. Okay, so a little bit away from all the tourist center? Yeah, just a little bit away. Would you go to St. Mark's Basilica uh, on no. a big day like that, or you'd go to your neighborhood church? My neighborhood church. Wow. And we belong would, to each church. <laughs> and and uh, which church would that be? Madonna dell'Orto. Madonna dell'Orto. Yeah. And uh, everybody goes to church on Christmas Eve, I suppose. Uh, usually. I mean, if you're going to go to church once in the year, it would be yeah, Christmas it was, Eve. It, yeah, it will be on Christmas. <laughs> okay. Now, what is, how does the canal world of Venice shape the way Venetians celebrate Christmas? Is there anything unusually Venetian about Christmas? Yeah, we have a regatta, a Christmas regatta through the Grand Canal. So that's like a parade for boats? A parade for boats. And everybody has to, if you want to participate, you got to dress up like Santa Claus. So Santa Claus on a gondola. See, si. <laughs> they're from Venetian. Are there boats. many boats? 
Oh, yeah, a lot of them, yeah. Christmas regatta. Is yeah. that on uh, what day? Usually it's on the Sunday before Christmas. Okay. So, so it starts uh, by the basin of San Marco, and then it goes through the whole Grand Canal, and it ends up in Rialto. And everybody dresses up as... Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Of course, many Santa Claus. <laughs> There's a lot of Santa Clauses. <laughs> and what kind of boats are there? Different Venetian boats, Sandalo, Caurlina, Road by Six, Road by Two, Road by One. Uh, so, so you know these different boats? Oh, uh, yeah. So tell me again, Sanda- Sandalo is just Road by One or by Two, Caurlina by Six mostly, and that's a very thick and big one. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can row singing Christmas songs, and then in Rialto, it's time for just drinking wine or hot chocolate. And Rial- so Rialto or, is the area because there's lots yeah. of restaurants and bars and so yes. on. Yes, and yeah. right under the fish market, right under the wide open arches, just because on Sunday there's no market, uh, we can eat and we, we can chit-chat. And a lot of kids come to see many Santa Claus. <laughs> Do you feel on these festivals around Christmas time in Venice that it's the world is of the local Venetian people? Or do you feel invaded by the tourists? No, no tourists at all. I think that tourists don't come for Christmas. Maybe they used to choose some other spots in Italy, but not Venice. Maybe because it's all the way up to the north, too cold to... Because it can be cold. It can be cold. I've stood on the top of of St. Mark's and I've I've seen the Alps. You can see them. They cut into the sky. When it's not humid and yeah. the air is clear, it's a very few times a year. But you <laughs> see the so mountain, because it, it must be a few times a year, because I've been on top of the bell tower many times, yeah. and you don't notice the Alps. No. But in the winter, the air can be crispy. It's fantastic. Sometimes it's, it's lovely. Oh, I love but it. some other times in Christmas, we have high tide. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Oh, okay, so all those Santa Clauses are pulling on their boots. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you, we got we to gotta wear our rubber boots. Uh, Do you have rubber walk. boots in your house? Of course. Two of course. Pairs. Of course, two pairs. How high are they? Uh, till knees and then over knees. You've got one that goes higher than your knees. Yeah, of course. Rubber boots. <laughs> See, if I got to go to the Samra Square, I need the, the big boots. And how many times a year do you use those boots? Thousands. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> More so, than hundreds. So there's a, a lot of flooding in Venice these yes. days. Yes. What are they doing about that? Um, praying. Praying. <laughs> Using rosaries. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> no, I mean, you got to slow down. You slow yeah. down and everybody right. slow down. Uh, you, you enjoyed it. So it's a sort of a blessing because now we have to, we can't do what we planned and now yeah. we can have more time together or something. Yeah. Maybe it's like when we have snow here. It's, it makes everybody slow down. Yeah. So when you have a flood. Yeah. The only thing is if you got to catch a train, uh, you are in trouble. <laughs> then you got to get on your boots early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, all over Italy, they're famous for the uh, Presepi these beautiful manger scenes. I think St. Francis sort of invented the idea of the manger scene to illustrate the Christmas story in Assisi. And then uh, I know all over Italy, you go into the churches and it's like a local competition to have the most beautiful manger scene or presepi. Do you have that tradition in Venice? Very small and little presepis in some churches, but mm. not in, in... Not like in Rome. No, yeah. not like in Rome. We don't have a proper... And then in, in Rome, I know that the Christmas season goes all the way until Epiphany, January 6th, when they have a La Bafana, yeah, it's like the, yeah. the holiday witch. A beautiful woman. <laughs> Do you have the, the La Bafana in Venice? We have it too, yeah. So explain to what, what is the whole meaning, because it's confusing to me. Who is this La Bafana and why on Epiphany and what happens? Uh, usually she brings candies and uh, calls to people. Uh, cool. So yeah, candy also, if the kids are good and yeah, cool if they're back. But exactly. it happens on the 12th day of Christmas. 
Epiphany. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So that's when the kids are going to get their, do they have a stocking and it's filled with little goodies? Yeah, it, it happens the day before they're back to school. <laughs> so okay. that's why they got to be good. <laughs> they got to be, oh, it's planned that way. Of course. Way. Very smart, <laughs> mother and father sub, in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of Christmas, even in Venice. But the beginning in Venice, I think, is up to two different parties. So there are some families who used to decorate the Christmas tree after La Madonna della Salute celebration. Oh, La Madonna della Salute, that's the big church that was built to celebrate surviving the plague, I Exactly, think. in the middle of the 1600s. The big famous Baroque church across, we always see it from St. Mark's, and I understand you build a, a special bridge across yeah. the Grand Canal. By wooden raft. Right? Still Temporary. happens. Yeah, it still happens. It does a sort of parade of people yeah. uh, holding their candles to light up the candles into the church for asking for a good health for their whole family. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and that always happens on November the 21st. And that kicks off the Christmas season. For some families. For some, families. some mothers, like mine, <laughs> on December the 8th uh, for the Immaculate Conception. Okay. I've always, I've always done it. So on. your mother has a shorter Christmas season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we, yeah, because for us, you don't decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. See. So this would be about the same time. Yeah. So if you think back, Elena, to your childhood, tell me your most beautiful little Christmas memory as a child celebrating Christmas in Venice. So in my family, <laughs> so we used to wait for Santa Claus at, on the Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. So at a certain time after dinner, my father, the boss of the family, had to say, okay, now let's go to the other side of the house. Let's turn the light off waiting for Santa Claus. But one year it happened and my grandmother was just leaping with us because she was ill. So we left grandma in that room, in the living room, and we left that room. So a couple of minutes later, my, my father said, okay, now I gotta, I gotta go back and I gotta catch if Santa Claus went or not. And then at a certain time, we heard boom, a very hard boom. So we back and my grandma was down on the floor. So apparently she fell down by herself. But I thought I was, I think I was four. I thought it was Santa Claus who <laughs> punched my grandma. <laughs> or, oh no. Yeah, oh my no. grandma said, oh, Santa Claus is not that good for me this year. And was your grandmother okay? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and did Santa Claus come? See. Si. <laughs> and everything was happily ever after. Yes. So that's good. <laughs> By the way, were you, uh, when uh, La Bafana comes on January 6th, did you get uh, goodies or did you get coal? No, always candies and goodies. Always candies? Yeah, I was a good girl. A you were girl. a good little girl. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and what kind of candies and goodies would, would La Bafana like bring? Like sweets and, and uh, like chocolate bars and... Uh, happy times. Yeah, happy times. Happy only. times. One time I had just cola, but it was a sugar cola. Oh, that yeah. was good. So yeah. it was, uh, Just for a nice girl. <laughs> <laughs> cool for a nice girl. <laughs> yeah. Elena Zemperan, uh, how do you say Merry Christmas in Venetian? Bon Natal. Bon Natal. Mille grazie. Grazie, Tarek. Lorraine Deneen joins us now for a look at some of the holiday preparations you can find that get you ready for Christmas in England, at least in a more normal year. She's a licensed tour guide based in Bath. Lorraine, happy holidays, and thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. So if you think back on your childhood memories of Christmas, in, in England, there's something called a, a stirrup Sunday. What, um, what is that? Yeah, 
It's the last Sunday before Advent, Mm -hmm. which is most likely to be the last Sunday in November. Mm -hmm. And it's when the Christmas puddings are made. Christmas puddings are a mixture of dried fruits and breadcrumbs and eggs. You mix it all together and you put it in a basin and then you steam it for hours and hours. And you eat it after you've eaten your turkey on Christmas Day. Okay. You actually set fire to it, which is a bit silly. But on Stir Up Sunday, you get the family and you get the kids around just to give it a stir. And traditionally, you put a little piece of silver in there. So like a sixpence or something would have gone in there. Uh And then whoever gets the sixpence on Christmas Day in their pudding dish is the lucky one. So there's a coin in the pudding. I know. know. Did you ever get that as a child? Yes. It must have made you just filled with joy. Well, yeah, because sixpence was worth a lot when I was a kid. We don't have sixpences anymore. What could you buy with a sixpence? Sweets. Back then, they sold candy, uh, like little separate candies, right? So you just buy yes. them. Yes, yeah. weigh them out. Yeah, yeah, you'd weigh them out. Six penny worth of sweeties. So that's a Christmas tradition. And on Christmas Day, yeah. when you've steamed the pudding for hours and hours and hours, yeah. and you get it out the dish and it sits there, you pour whiskey over it or brandy over it, and you set fire to it. I don't know why you do that. And you eat it with cream or custard or whatever, yeah. brandy sauce. Is that still popular? We still set fire to our puddings, yeah. <laughs> What about wassailing? Is that wassailing? Yeah, wassailing. That's another tradition that's had a bit of a revival recently. It's traditionally found in areas where they grow cider apples, mm-hmm. Gloucestershire, Herefordshire, oh, Somerset. Yeah. Cider, very hard cider. Yes, scrumpy, scrumpy. Yes. Well, it was tradition to get the village together to go and bless the orchard, and the village would march down to the orchard, banging drums and making a lot of noise to get rid of the evil spirits. And they'd pour a little cider around all the trees. Into the roots, right down at the bottom of the tree. Just to make sure that the trees produced enough apples to make good cider again the following year. And they'd sing a lot of songs as well. And it's a tradition that has been revived quite recently. And you can imagine any excuse to get down the orchard and drink a lot and make a lot of noise. There's a guy named Roy who has a cider farm, an orchard up in near Cheddar Gorge. Yes. Roy Wilkins. Yes. Land's End Farm, I think. Uh-huh. And when you go there, it's like, it feels like a, a club that's been partying for six months. Yeah. They're just there. They're draped over all the trees. They're hanging out in the driveway and there's got these big kegs of cider and it is a wild scene. Yeah, I bet they do wassailing down there as well. That would be fun, wassailing. So singing, drinking cider, a tradition going way, way back. It's a pagan ritual, basically. Before Christianity came to England. Yeah, Yeah, it's a pagan ritual. And still carried on. Yeah. Wherever there's fruit trees. Yes, indeed, yeah. What would people sing during wassailing? Um, so it's your wassail and it's my wassail and a toast to everybody. It's a jolly wassail. So it's a wassail. That's that's what you do. You're going to wassail together. You wassail down to the orchard and you make a lot of noise. It sounds almost like a a movie scene with a bunch of people traipsing from the village square out to the orchard, singing together. It's a bit weird, really, isn't it, when you think about it like that? Probably holding torches. (laughs) Well, yes. Yeah, they would be, wouldn't they? In the dead of winter. Yeah, exactly. Dead of winter. So it gives everybody an excuse to get together and have a party. Otherwise, it's pretty dreary. Very dreary. And back then, you didn't even know for sure if spring was going to come. You thought, maybe this is the end of stuff. Well, it was their way of ensuring that the trees were going to produce apples again that year. They got every base covered. That's true. And they sold a little cider. (laughs) Oh, I tell you what is interesting. Yeah. Some of our Christmas carols Uh 
have come from wassailing songs. So, things like, uh, now bring us some figgy pudding, now bring us some figgy pudding, now bring us some figgy pudding, and bring it right here. What's that got to do with Christianity? It hasn't. It's got a lot to do with wassailing, though. Which is a pagan tradition that yes. was incorporated into the Christian traditions yes. over the centuries. Yes. So bring us some figgy pudding. And we were just talking about figgy pudding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you'll find a little silver coin in that, and then everything's going to be good this next year. Yes. All right. Lorraine Deneen, thanks so much for taking us back to the old country as we better understand Christmas in England. It's fun, isn't it? It sure is. Lorraine, thanks so much. Thank you, Rick. Merry Christmas. While this year's holiday celebrations will be muted at best in many locales to keep crowds from spreading the COVID virus further, I've got an idea. Why don't we use this time to revisit our memories from our favorite travels? If you like to travel for the holidays, where are you looking forward to treating yourself for some Christmas season adventures next time around? We're at 877-333-7425, and by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. Let's start with Lisa in Puyallup, Washington. Hey, Lisa. Joyeux Noël, Rick. Joyeux Noël to you, too, and that's about all the French I speak. (laughs) Oh, well, we could teach you. (laughs) All right. I suppose you've got some French Christmas memories. Yes. Just last year, we were in France in the middle of December, and we were in Normandy and Paris, and... We spent uh, a lot of time going in churches and um, looking at their nativity scenes and how they displayed them, and they were all different, and some were quite simple and some were fancy, using some of the different chapels in the church for different scenes. But one thing we noticed in common in all of those, there was no baby Jesus in the manger. Instead, there was an open Bible. And we were very touched by that because, of course, we knew the scripture, but the way they depicted it, it seemed to come alive for us, you know, really had a lot more meaning. And we learned that on Christmas Eve, of course, the baby would be put in the manger and would be there afterwards. But then on the other hand, the churches weren't the only place where we saw nativities. We went to a Marche de Noël, a Christmas market in the Tuileries. There was lots of food there and um, hot wine, of course, Vanchot. And one of the hot wine vendor booths was like a big German Christmas pyramid. So on the first level, there was hot wine. (laughs) The Uh. second level was the full nativity. And then on the next tier, there were sort of scary-looking elves playing musical instruments. It seemed really incongruous, but it uh, it made us smile. You know, there's there's lots of different ways to see Christmas. It was really fun to see France before Christmas time. Oh, I love that. They, You know, they're so tuned in to everybody being out and enjoying the festive atmosphere. They've even got little stepladders by the windows so the little kids can climb up and get a better look through the windows, I remember. Oh, yes. Um, outside the Bon Marché and Gallery Lafayette, they had little wooden walkways so the kids could stand up close to the oh, windows yeah. and, and see the, the moving parts um, in the window scenes. They were quite beautiful. And leave it to the French to make sure there's good, good food to eat. The, the, <laughs> it's oyster time, and, and that's a big part of the Christmas season is wonderful oysters. The bakeries are pulling out all the stops to make special seasonal cakes and, and uh, tarts and so on. Right now I'm just... I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking about all these images of Paris during Christmas time and the, the wonderful lights. 
Yes. And um, I love the, the thought that it's, it's not just over the top. It's not just bulk lights where you can see it from an airplane almost, you know. It's just really artfully done. And, and to stroll down the Champs-Élysées and enjoy the windows and enjoy the lights and enjoy the decorated trees and to be part of the scene, it's just a, a beautiful way to celebrate Christmas. I love it. You do feel a part of it. Um, we went on an open-top bus tour of Christmas lights. Going up the Champs-Élysées on the open-top bus you know, at night with the lights was quite dramatic and really beautiful. By the end of the trip, we couldn't feel our feet anymore. I was going to say, um, that sounds... I thought, whoa, an open-top bus tour of the <laughs> Christmas lights. I thought, wonderful. And then I thought, cold. You must have been bundled up. <laughs> yeah, ne- next time we're taking those little um, hot foot warmer things with yeah, us. <laughs> yeah, What a great, great memory to be in Paris for Christmas. It was very special. All right. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We've got more of your holiday season travel ideas and memories just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. While a lot of Christmas travel plans have been put on hold this year, we're checking in with our Travel with Rick Steves listeners at 877-333-RICK. Tell us where you've enjoyed vacationing over the holidays, and maybe where you're going to go next year. Lena's calling from Kirkland in Washington. Lena, thanks for your call. Hello, thank you. Yeah, have you traveled around uh, outside of the country on Christmas? I have. Um, so I've, I've traveled quite a bit, and a few years back I started a new bucket list of travels just for Christmas. And I have been away from home every Christmas since. Um, wow. It's sort of become a tradition. And I'm gathering more and more friends that are uh, coming along with me every year. So it's been quite fun. So first of all, why do you make a point to be out of the country during Christmas? Because we have our traditions and they tend to be the same every single year. You know, travel is my greatest passion and I'm always curious about everything, how it's done in other countries. And Christmas being my favorite holiday, of course, I'm most curious about Christmas and how it's celebrated in other places. And, you know, it's just, it's different. And it renews that that wonder, that awe. I think, you know, if if you've ever been to, I'm sure you have a million times, but um, a European Christmas market and, and just experience that sheer great joy of just walking around with a cup of glue vine in your hand and listening to people sing off-key but don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just it's just so much fun. It's so much better than sitting at home worrying about gifts and gift wrapping and cooking a turkey. And, oh, yeah. you, you, there's a lot of wisdom yeah. in what you're saying. You're so thoughtful about that. <laughs> so you've spent many Christmases uh, away from home traveling. Are there any mm-hmm. favorite locations that you've enjoyed so much that you've gone back to uh, repeatedly? So, of course, Nuremberg is the one that got my attention for the very first time because of all the German cities, it's such a small, quaint city. So that was definitely the one that sort of hooked me. But um, So small, but and, um, small and quaint as opposed to Munich or Berlin or something like that. I think right, I, I understand what you're right. saying. Nuremberg, it feels, it's a sizable town, but it, it feels like a community all gathered together on that big square with that beautiful facade of the church towering above all of the little stalls and people bundled up warm and eating those wonderful Nuremberger sausages the size of your little finger with that wonderful spicy mustard and hot spiced wine. Oh, I love Nuremberg at Christmas. 
and the very hot chestnuts. <laughs> yes. You have to carry them in your gloves for a while, and you don't need hand warmers. <laughs> <laughs> What's another place? It's, um, so um, I've also enjoyed Whistler, Canada quite a bit, the little village there. Um, Whistler, Whistler in Canada, just, yeah. just outside of Vancouver. The, it's a ski resort, yeah. right? Yes, it is. It was actually the location of Vancouver Olympics mm-hmm. a few years back, and uh, the village is just so fantastic. It's really, really cute. It surprised me, so it's been a wonderful place. So, but um, wait a minute. So, Whistler to me, it's it's just a sort of a, a fancy ski resort in the mountains. It's all new shops and restaurants and bars and hotels lined up and filled with jet-setting skiers. And you actually found that to be cozy and convivial. Yes, because believe it or not, there are quite a few people who don't actually ski. There's an outdoor Scandinavian spa. <laughs> Huh. Which is which is really fun at Christmas time, and there's quite a few people who don't ski and just go out there for um, you know. There's a lot of activities. Okay, wait a minute. Out, outdoor Scandinavian spa. Tell us more about that. Well, okay. So my first Scandinavian spa experience was in Bergen, Norway, and it's kind of neat because I didn't know what to expect. I, I know spas at home. You know, you get a massage, you go home, <laughs> but no, it's a it's a whole day experience. You have to go in and take a bath, and you get your treatments, and then they serve lunch, and then you have the hot spas and the cold spas, and sort of, you know, make your rounds. It literally is an all-day experience. Okay, so, so the uh, Scandinavian um, spa treatment, pampering yourself for Christmas at Whistler in Canada. What's another place you've been then, to a number of times? Um, so surprisingly, one of my favorite places is here in the United States. I go to Woodstock, Vermont quite often. Uh-huh. It, it's the most picturesque place I've ever seen at Christmas time. It literally is like um, a Hallmark Christmas movie. It's a tiny little town. <laughs> it's literally just a tiny little town, and there's these Victorian bed and breakfasts and these artisan villages where you can go try different foods and drinks that are made right there, and they sort of work together, you know. So, so there's a distillery that lends its barrels to the brewery that makes its beers in those barrels and the brewery lends its beer to the cheese shop and and so on and so forth so it's it's just a really small community and you, you just stand around and, and don't know which direction to look to take a picture it's just absolutely wonderful wonderful yeah any other christmas memories they just... quebec city oh that's yeah. now quebec city has a kind of a coziness and a historic sort of uh, richness that it might be a, a little bit of a European sort of feeling in, in Canada. I get that feeling from Quebec, definitely from Montreal. It, it's as close to, um, you know, that European vibe as you would get on this side of the pond. But uh, Quebec's been on my Christmas travel list or bucket list. So mm-hmm. I, I've just booked everything and I'm, and I'm slowly reading up on things not to miss and things to do. So I'm Lena, very excited Lena, you sound like a great traveler. I think you could write a book about Christmases in interesting places. Thank you so much, and enjoy your sure Christmas you in Quebec, all right? Thank you very much for having okay, me. Okay, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. We have an email here from Anka in Oldenburg, in Lower Saxony of Germany. And Anka writes, When I lived in Dusseldorf on the Rhine River, I noticed how many Americans were visiting German Christmas markets. Sometimes they even toured it by river cruises through the German Christmas markets on the Rhine and the Mosul River all the way to Nuremberg. Also in the United States, there are specific Christmas German markets, for example, in Chicago. And then Anka writes, What makes German Christmas markets so special for Americans? 
bratwurst or grilled sausages and glühwein, that's the hot malt wine, cannot be the only reason that you guys like to come to German Christmas markets that much, right? Well, I've wondered the same thing. And um, I think there's something about a Christmas market that kind of enlivens the the romantic view of, of ye old German towns, half-timbered towns, horse carriages clip-clopping on cobbles. It's uh, Europeans getting romantic about their heritage for the holiday season, like we Americans do, just because we're on holiday in that country. It's a time when, when local people feel like they're out celebrating and we can celebrate with them. It's kind of fun to, to cup a porcelain uh, mug of hot mulled wine and burn your fingers on the roasted chestnuts and uh, see your breath in the air as you uh, cinch up your scarf and you laugh with the local friends you've just made. Each town has its own personality when you think about a Christmas market. Some of them are noisier and more commercial and, and more boisterous. Others are more subdued and, and elegant and charming. This is a good thing to talk about, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have had experiences visiting Christmas markets in Germany and nearby. An important dimension of it is tourism. Uh, any European town, any town with any sort of a touristic draw wants to spread out the season and give people a reason to come outside of the typical peak season. And a great way to bump up your bottom line if you're in tourism is to give people an excuse to come to your place sometime during the Christmas season. And in Germany, the Christmas market season lasts an entire month. So there's plenty of opportunities for these charming towns, these towns that are kind of addicted to the tourist dollar, can uh, amp up their business during what otherwise might be low season. What do you think about traveling over the holidays? Have you been to any places that we've been talking about so far today? Or where else might you have enjoyed for a getaway in December? We're at 877-333-7425. And by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. Alex is on the line from Phoenix in Arizona. Alex, thanks for your call. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Rick. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. You bet. What are some Christmas memories you'd like to share? Well, Rick... My wife and I have been traveling over the Christmas uh, holiday ever since 2014. We decided to take a warm weather excursion down to the Cayman Islands, and that became our, our tradition of traveling over the holidays. We just felt like the Christmas season in the United States, uh, particularly where we are, it gets very commercialized, and everything is all about the presents and Santa and the stores and the sales, and we just wanted to get away. So... 2014, we started doing this. Uh, we've taken a number of trips since then. Every holiday, we've been away. But one of our most memorable ones was actually to a place in the United States. We have been to Europe for Christmas, but uh, the United States, uh, we sort of flip-flop between uh, the U.S. and international. And one of the most memorable ones we've ever been to was Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I ironically enough, we found out about Santa Fe as a destination from a European we were with our children in Amsterdam, and our tour guide uh, was a world traveler. He loved traveling probably as much as you do. When we asked him if he had been to the United States, he said, oh, of course, many times. I've, I've been there a lot. And my wife asked him, what's your favorite place that you've ever visited in the United States? And without skipping a beat, he said, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Huh. Now, Alex, Santa Fe's got its charms all year long. Was there something distinct about Santa Fe at Christmas time? Well, there's one thing that really drew us to it for Christmas, and that's the uh, the Canyon Road Walk, uh, which is something they do on Christmas Eve. One of the biggest 
straws of Santa Fe is uh, the farolitos, the little candles that are inside the brown bags. Oh, yeah. And you'll, you'll see those everywhere throughout the city. But uh, on Christmas Eve, the Canyon Roadwalk, they line a big section of the main road with these farolitos. And it's completely packed. There's carolers and restaurants are open and there's food and drinks and everybody's singing and having a wonderful time. And we had our two young children with us. And even with all those crowds, it was still very welcoming and very uh, home feeling. And it it was just an amazing experience. And that, I think, was the main Christmas draw of Santa Fe itself. You know, there's something about... uh little candles in a park-like setting or lining a road that just makes it feel convivial, doesn't it? People come together, it's, it's warm, it's, it's special. We have that, even in Seattle, we, we have our Green Lake is a popular walk, and it's lined with little candles, and it brings people out, and it's just a joyful time. Whenever I see the, a candle in a little bag now, I always think of that Christmas from, from yeah. Santa Fe. But you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's a sense of conviviality. I think that's a great word to describe it. When you have a big crowd and everybody feels there's a chill in the air, but everybody has mm. warmth in their hearts, and it, it's a lot of fun. We had a wonderful time. I like that. A chill in the air when warmth in our hearts, thanks to the little candles. Now, give us a little more sense of... Uh, what it was like to be out in Santa Fe that would be different than another part of the United States? There are very few areas in the United States where I can go where I don't feel like I'm in the United States. And there's a handful of places, like I was in Montreal for a period of time, and it, it felt much more European than it did North American. And obviously Montreal's yeah. not in the United States, but... Yeah, but I can understand. To me, you know, Boston has a little European flavor to it. Santa Fe would have a Mexican flavor to it. A lot of cities uh, would just feel like generic American. You're exactly right. And that was the point that really hit home with us, is that when we were in Santa Fe, we did not feel like we were in the U.S., And we took some day trips, and we went out to uh, Bandelier National Monument. Uh, My GPS took me through the security gate for Los Alamos National Laboratory, and I thought we had taken a wrong turn, and I feared that we were going to be arrested and uh, held in a dark cell somewhere. Ah. But fortunately, that was the correct path. We were just not expecting to have to go through a, a gate where I have to show my driver's license. The, the trip we took up to, um, to Taos Pueblo, which is one of the oldest pueblos in the U.S., it's distinctly non-U.S. feeling with vendors outside and, and people cooking in these little tiny kitchens and selling flatbreads and cakes and that's, candies. Yeah, that's indigenous feeling. That's from before United States. That's America, yeah. Wow, and all right. It, it's an amazing experience, and I would, I would highly recommend it any time of year, but if you have the opportunity to visit there over the Christmas season, it is absolutely magical. Santa Fe at Christmas. Alex, thanks so much, and enjoy your holidays. Thank you. You do the same, Rick. It's my pleasure. Bye now. A Travel with Rick Steves listener in Philadelphia writes us with this information about some pretty special Christmas time scenes she found in France and Italy. 
Strasbourg, where our daughter was studying, has a huge market with flamenkuche and mulled wine. We went to its cathedral on Christmas Eve. Silent Night was sung in German, Alsatian, and French. At the end of the Mass, the enormous cathedral doors, not usually opened, were opened to reveal a beautiful cold night with lights decorating all the buildings. It was magical. Years later, we were in Torino in Italy, where our son was working for Fiat. On Christmas Eve, we visited a small town south of the city, which had turned itself into Bethlehem. No electricity, but torchlight at the intersections. A young woman on a donkey was led through the streets, stopping at each home where local crafts were made. Everyone was in costume. At the manger, there was a couple with a baby, men dressed as kings, and small children singing carols. Also magical. Those Christmas travel memories are from Judy, listening in Philadelphia, and they're a great example of how it's fun to get out during the holidays and see how other countries celebrate this special time of year. And Gidi's on the line in Los Altos, California. Gidi, thanks for your call. Oh, you're more than welcome, Rick. Now, I, I can tell from your accent that uh, you probably grew up in a country that a lot of us would dream about traveling to. Where are you from? I'm from Persia, Iran. Oh, from Persia? Mm-hmm. Now, how do you celebrate Christmas in Persia, or do you? Probably well, not Christmas. You know, What's the winter holiday in, in uh, Iran? Oh, yeah, winter holiday is just, you know, it's, uh, Tehran used to be, you know, four season. I've, I've been away from it for a long, long, long time. It's really not my home anymore. It's here in Los Altos in my home. Uh, yeah, they just, you know, they, there were some people who actually, you know, celebrate Christmas uh, a lot, and it was very popular, actually, in, you know, that time before revolution was really, really popular to celebrate Christmas and New Year in the best way, you know, it's kind of unbelievable. But now in, Tur- in Tehran, you've got snow-capped mountains ringing the town, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. in wintertime, there is, a, yeah, snow, and there is a, used to be ski, and I think there is still probably is. Okay, now, now, now you're uh, in the United States, and, and how do you like to celebrate Christmas? We always go to snow. I mean, it's Christmas, it starts for us with the snow, and I just go to Tahoe, Incline Village. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a little village in North Lake Tahoe, which is really... Sure. And that we always go on Christmas to just go and be in the middle of snow and... Just go, you know, actually Christmas Day is a perfect day to go skiing because uh, it's kind of um, quiet and not many people go. So that's how I celebrate. I just go to the nature and then uh, see the, all those pine trees, you know, different kind of pine trees covered by snow and icicles. It's very natural and all, you know, so beautiful, magnificent being in the on top of the mountain and just be in the nature. I think there's something just sort of uh, magical about snow-covered trees, especially if you grew up in a land where uh, you only saw that in postcards. Absolutely. Yeah, All right. Gidi in Los Altos, I hope you have a white Christmas. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much, and okay. happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy, happy holidays. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays Cause no matter how far away you roam When you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze For the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home 
Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton and Kazmaral Hall. Our web team includes Amara Kitnikone and Andrew Wakeling. Promotion support comes from Sheila Gerzoff, and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. You'll find more at ricksteves.com radio. We wish you a warm and beautiful holiday season from all of us at Travel with Rick Steves. Feliz Navidad. Joyeux Noël. Joyeux Noël. Bon Natale. What a best big man for Glasgow. Have a happy Christmas. Boldog Karácsonyt. Merry Christmas.